Merry Christmas and welcome to episode 11 of the We Need Crew podcast. I am the host, Scott Howarth. Guitar tech Calvin Roffy is our guest this week. From Bedford to Detroit, he tells us about how he got into the industry and a couple of funny stories on the road. I'm not going to spoil the best bits for you. You're going to hear them soon enough. So last week on the introduction, I mentioned money's raised by Niall Horan for We Need Crew. Well, this week, I'm going to tell you the total raised thus far. It's been absolutely outstanding work by the team at We Need Crew. All the supporters and people like yourselves who have donated or purchased items with We Need Crew in mind. We're still fundraising right now. And if you do feel like donating, you can just head over to weneedcrew.co.uk and click on the Donate Now tab. So, the total raised so far is... £224,573.05. That is absolutely incredible. And that is across the board from things like artists raising money, the AP Music Fund, individual donations, grouped donations, merchandise purchases, and of course, the raffles from both We Need Crew and Wishio. We're actually still got a few wishios live as of this recording. So the money's still being counted. And also, in addition to all of that, the boys at Five Seconds of Summer have added their support to the initiative too. So visit fivesaucestore.eu to view their range of merch that they have on offer. Five Sauce Five seconds of summer, they hold a very, very dear place in the Weenie Crew hearts. They are the musical artists from which the people involved in We Need Crew connected. That's from the in-house production team to the production manager to the production assistant, past crew, and even down to the management team. Five seconds of summer have not only helped the initiative with fundraising, but they, if anything, brought the people into contact with each other, which helps form We Need Crew. So all our love to the boys in Five Sauce. They stand behind their crew and their team, and there's nothing but love coming from us as well. So we're one week away from Christmas Day now. So, I'd like to wish everybody a very, very Merry Christmas. Stay safe out there, enjoy the festivities, but most importantly, enjoy episode 11 of the We Need Crew podcast. This week's guest has made a lot of artists smile over the years. A few is agitated, but he's made a lot of crews touring very pleasurable. He's a genuine, no-nonsense kind of person. He can also tell you the winner of every WrestleMania. Some say that Rancid's lyrics, black coat, white shoes, black hair, Cadillac, was actually written specifically about him. The band Halloween has nothing on this guy's jack-o'-lantern. Our guest is the wonderful goth that is Mr. Calvin Roffey. <laughs> Hiya, mate. How are you doing? Th- yeah, I'm good. I don't think I could do every WrestleMania, but 
certainly the good ones. I reckon you can do um, the first five. Go. Uh, Hulk Hogan, Hulk... Hulk Hogan for the first five years, pretty much. Like, uh, yeah, nineteen ninety. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty much Hulk Hogan for the for the first few years. You know, he's got the Andre the Giant match. He's got the Ultimate Warrior match. Uh, who is your, who's your favorite Sheik, wrestler? I think. Out of interest. Oh, mate, that's that's. We haven't got time. You, you feel, you feel time. like a Legion of Doom kind of person. Yeah, uh, I was big on Legion of Doom. Uh, big on Jake the Snake Roberts. Um, obviously, the Undertaker. Being a fellow goth, um, yeah, I think we we grew up around the same time. So mine was uh, Ultimate Warrior. As a kid, mine was the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, looking back on his work now, <laughs> and and some of the things well, he just he used to flip off the ropes. That was it for me. I was sold. I was like, he just did a flip. I'm, I'm sold. Yeah. And that's where looking, my wrestling stops. Unfortunately, Calf. I can't go any looking, further. Than that. Looking back at the Ultimate Warrior now, you might go, uh, "Yeah, he's not actually that good. He's just sort of big and doesn't sell anything." But you know, he uh, as a kid, he was probably like my first rock star, as it were. Yeah. You know, as like as a sort of seven, eight year old kid. Like I remember, it's exactly the same as you. He'd come in, he'd run, he'd shake the ropes. He had the long hair and the giant muscles and the face paint, and you know, and he was just didn't feel pain ever and would kill people in about three seconds and I thought wow that's amazing and then like five years later or something I see Metallica on TV and I'm like oh my god they're like <laughs> heavy metal ultimate warriors amazing you know yeah, yeah, yeah. so I guess yeah I guess the ultimate warrior was, would probably be in my as a kid in my favourites but looking back now he's, uh, he's worth. on the title of this episode I'm going to put uh, Calvin Roffy compares Metallica to the ultimate warrior <laughs> <laughs> oh dear please Fun. forgive me Metallica Fun. Yeah. <laughs> so Cal welcome to the Weenie Crew podcast mate it's great to have you on this time um, we've toured together personally anyway so I know I know quite a little bit about you um, but do you want to ah. tell all our listeners a little bit more about yourself yeah um, my name is Calvin I grew up in Bedfordshire England very small very small town. Um, I've now since moved to Detroit, Michigan, mm-hmm. um, but we'll touch on that in a bit, I guess. Um, yeah, I I, uh, I started. I start. Always wanted to play guitar. Always yeah. wanted to play guitar. There was a there was a guitar in my house um, that was my brother's, and he couldn't play it. But there was always a guitar in my house. My my brother's only got three fingers on his left hand. Um, <laughs> I, it becomes relevant. Um, he only he's only got three fingers on his left hand, and he has his guitar. But obviously, if you've only got three fingers on your left hand, you can't play the guitar right-handed because you haven't got enough fingers to press the frets. Yeah. So there was a guitar in our house that was strung I left-handed. Got, oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my brother could play it. But now, obviously, if if you if you only have three three fingers on your hand, you're probably less likely to be dominant in that hand. Yeah. So he could never really pick this guitar up and play it because it was strong left-handed, but he was naturally right-handed. But as like a really young kid picking up a guitar, and every time I went to pick it up right-handed, they'd be like, no, turn it around, it's the other way because it's left-handed guitar. So I just learned how to play guitar the wrong way up, as it were. And uh, mm. So then when I was sort of growing up as a kid or, you know, sort of got 13, 14 years old and wanted to get like a proper guitar of my own, I only really knew how to play left-handed. Right. So I ended up being this weird left-handed guitarist that... Uh, Are you not left-handed then? 
No, I'm right-handed. I don't even know that. I, I know you yeah, play guitars I, left-handed, but... Yeah, I can't do anything with my left hand other than play guitar. Wow, did not know it's, that. It's really annoying, I'm not going to lie. And you can't... You, I mean, you can, you can play a guitar very well as well, so... The fact that you can't, <laughs> the fact that you can't even write with your left hand, but you can play a guitar—that's mental. Yeah, it's really, really annoying. <laughs> but in the same time, it's probably saved me thousands on every guitar that I'd ever want to buy. Because you know, you, you know how it is—you have a day off on tour and you end up in a guitar shop, and you're like, "Oh wow, they've got a beautiful 1959 Les Paul that I oh, could definitely buy." Oh, yeah. uh, but it's right-handed. I'll never play it. Cool, that's fine. How much? Work, oh, what have they got? How much? What have they got? Just hand? being a left-handed guitar tech. Again, there's just not that many left-handed players. I think in my entire career, I've maybe worked with two. Yeah, yeah, two, and and one of them still had his guitars strung right-handed because he'd, uh, That's he'd uh, again yeah. same as me. He'd only ever picked up right-handed guitars. So <laughs> you can play a guitar left-handed, but most of the people that you work for are right-handed. But yet, yeah, you still manage to play that guitar for them left-handed. But it's a right-handed guitar. Yeah, just you know, it's 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 similar, I suppose. It's still strict six strings, and it They're just certain shapes. Just you just have to invert the shapes and and get around it. But yeah. so yeah, that's how I that's how I kind of got picking up a guitar and and then sort of carried on playing in bands and stuff. And and I was I was a crap teenager. I was a really really crap teenager. I was I was one of those kids. You won't believe it now. I was one of those kids with like the giant giant. Uh, jeans. I bet you were too. As oh well, yeah, Scott. yeah. The, they were, the massive jeans. They were called like double D jeans or something like that. I think that was the the brand. Janko and yeah. and all this. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know the the giant jeans and you know that. I grew t-shirts. up in the new metal era. That's what it was. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I was I was always into I was always into sort of more sort of thrashy stuff when I was a kid. But then new metal came around and I definitely bought into it. But. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I got involved in playing in bands with, you know, my friend Nobber and, and a few other people like that. And uh, What was his name? Nobber. Okay. <laughs> I thought that's what he said. Yeah, yeah. Bless him. Uh, I think he goes by Mark now. Now he's got kids and stuff. Yeah, but... yeah. It's not really... Where's Uncle Nobber gone? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we, you know, we, we played, played in bands and uh, we had our own little sort of... Own little sort of kind of scene that was going on for a bit in Bedford with... Uh, We'd always meet up at the play park and we'd play in bands and we'd, you know, we'd drink cider in the park and go and watch bands at Esquires in the evenings and stuff. And and that kind of changed pretty dramatically one day. Um, I'm getting serious straight from the start. Yeah, go for it. Uh, a good friend of ours at the time, it was it was a strange time. There was a whole, a whole different... You know how you think of like goths hanging out together with goths and punks hanging out together with punks and, you know, emo kids... We all just hung out together in this like little play park opposite mm. Esquires, and then we'd all sort of go and watch bands in the evening. One of our friends, a, a, a lad named Stephen, um, really sweet guy, um, he uh, he had a bit of a misadventure with with LSD, right. and uh, uh, yeah, sorry to get serious straight away, but oh, he right. um, he he jumped off a multi-story car park. Oh dear. Yeah, and I was seventeen at the time, and. It was the first real sort of grief I ever went through. Right. Um, and it kind of changed how I saw the world, how I saw a lot of things. And I went from being this sort of idiot, sort of drunken teenager to to all mm. of a sudden being very like, oh my God. Very like, very is... aware that life is quite short and, and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and also that, you know, 
that whole thing really changed our scene. Like it went from a bunch of kids that would meet up without even, there was no phoning, no, Hey, are you coming out tonight? It was just like every Friday, every Saturday, mm. you just knew where to be. And, and everyone kind of scattered, like, you know, the kids that were, were into skating, carried on with skating and got, mm. got sort of submerged in that kids that were sort of more into drugs, got more into drugs. And, you know, some of them ultimately ended up passing on and some of them just disappeared, you know, as they do. And but the kids that were into sort of punk rock and playing their instruments kind of got more into playing their instruments, and I fell into that category. And uh, so you know, I started playing guitar and stuff. And uh, <laughs> it was a weird one because I, I decided that I didn't want, I didn't want that event, even at the age of seventy, I didn't want that that event getting forgotten. Yeah. So it was coming up, or it was com- it was coming around to a year since Stephen had passed. And I thought, well, I don't see any of the people I used to see and it would be really great just to bring everyone back together again because, you know, mm-hmm. we, we're all friends and I'm 18 now, you know, I'm a kid. I'm still a kid, but I'm, I've learned a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. So I went to the guy that used to promote shows at Esquire's. His name was Neil. Um, and I went to Neil and I said, hey, um, I would really like to organise a gig mm. to, you know, to try and remember Stephen and to bring all of his friends together again and just you know to celebrate his life because he was yeah, a, yeah. he was a good kid he was 16 when he passed and he was a good kid and he was young but you know I'd like I'd like to bring everyone together so can I have Saturday August 10th and he was like no chance on earth I was like <laughs> I was like Saturdays you can't have a Saturday are you mad I was like oh well, why not and it, exactly that he was like why would I give you one of my Saturdays yeah why would I give you a Saturday you know I said, well, you know, it's the, you know, it's the, you know, yeah. it's, the, he was like, it's the best day. He was like, well, what do you know about running a gig? Yeah. And I was like, hmm, well, yeah, there is that. Yeah. And, but I, I think, you know, you know me a bit as well. Like I'm not really one that takes defeat very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, well, what do I need to do then to show you that I could do this night? And he's like, all right, well, turn up on Saturday at six o'clock. And and I'll show you how to run a gig. Mm. And I was like, okay, fair enough. Yeah. So I got to Esquire's at six o'clock on Saturday and he's like, right, I need you to carry all this stuff up the stairs. <laughs> I was like, oh. It's no different know, to now, is it? A band, a band loading in. So, you know, I start, yeah. I carry all this gear up the stairs, you know, and load in. And then, then he's like, right, I need you to go to the supermarket and pick up all of these things. And, you know, it gives me the gives me the rider list yeah. you know I'm like okay so I go to the supermarket come back he's like why did you why did you buy this why did you buy this and I was like well because you know he's like yeah but you could have got it cheaper if you'd done you know uh, so yeah. he then he then sort of showed me the, the sort of ways around yeah but, but, you know, but, but baptized you with the rider and uh, showing how to set up okay, okay that's good yeah you know and uh, then he's like you know this is this is the sound man Simon and I was like oh I've met Simon from playing gigs here he's like yeah grumpy bastard and he's like yeah were you trying to say that well, sound guy's a grumpy not all of them, but this guy in particular, Simon Panther, if you're listening, you know I mean you, um, was a grumpy bastard. It, to the point where if you walked into the toilets at Esquire's, it did say in graffiti on the wall, the sound man is a grumpy bastard. <laughs> to which he had taken a sharp end of the and gone, no, I'm fucking not, you little shit. <laughs> like That showed them. Uh, yeah, you know... Uh, you know, and he's like, right, now you can help Simon. So Simon showed me how to put microphones on the right, you know, which microphones to use on which things and where to mic a cab. And, yeah. you know, so then 
before just, I know it, I'm doing changeovers and mm. and carrying gear on and off stage. And I'm, you know, this goes on sort of weeks by weeks by weeks. And eventually Neil goes, if you want that Saturday, you can have it. Like it. Like it. So I was like, cool, okay. You know, and uh, I booked I booked a ska punk band because we were all into ska punk at the time. You know, I booked Lightyear. Uh, right, um, okay, yeah. I booked Lightyear and... Uh, we filled the room with all of his friends and family and, and made a real celebration. And, you know, we made a bunch of money for charity and, and it was really good. And I was really, I was really proud of myself for that. And it just kind of ignited the fire in you to start live music then, I suppose. I mean, you'd already played in bands, but all of a sudden now you'd seen the inner workings of live music. You know, yeah, I, abs- ironically, absolutely. I did exactly the same thing. Oh really? I, ironically, yeah. I mean, instead of instead of meeting Simon, the grumpy sound man, I did everything. I was the sound man. I was the promoter. I was the DJ. I was everything, and I did the, I did exactly the same thing. Yeah, ironically. Um, yeah, it it's, it's I don't I don't know I don't think I've ever met anyone in this industry that's deliberately got into it. I think everyone's kind of just had a passion for it and ended up falling into it. Yeah. Um, but from then on, you know, Neil, the promoter, was like, well, you know, you seem to know about this punk stuff and you've you've got 200 people in the room tonight. Do you want to do it monthly? Mm. So I was like, yeah, sure, okay. So I started doing once monthly sort of punk nights at Esquire's. Um, and in between, I'd then go and help the sound guy, Simon. I'd I'd stage manage, as it were. You know, I'd he taught me how to use the monitor console, so I'd do monitors a bit. He yeah. showed me how to use the front of house console or... You know, so I was, so now I'm booking bands. I'm sometimes working on the door. Sometimes there's a, mo- I'm doing there's a sound. monitor desk in Bedford. There was. It's not there anymore. It's no, been I, replaced by I've an extra. Ne- I've to never been house, to be honest, but I know how small it is. Yes, yeah, I mean it's great. It's great. <laughs> um, I, I'm a little bit biased, but it's it's great. But uh, well, a band, you know, so a, a band I work for are from Bedford. Yeah, you, I know the boys. You mean you, you know you know them, and they've actually yeah. they actually booked a show. Uh, they played Wembley you know, on the, on the last tour, and then they booked this little show in Esquires, and I was like, well, I've never been to Esquires. Uh, this is going to be fun as a monitor engineer. So I couldn't imagine I would have fitted in anyway. I would have that front of house, but yeah. But yeah, there used to be a monitor desk. Um, it's now been replaced by, you know, to put it from front of house, which is possibly what they should have done to begin with. But either way, I was happy to sort of awfully mix monitors for loads of toilet circuit bands. But, uh, you it's know, was that, and then I started... I then sort of realised that there was probably a career in music mm. other than just being a guitar player, and which I was... You, you were very nice to me at the start by saying I was a good guitar player. I'm I'm a, I'm a three-chord <laughs> strummer at best, you know, and I'm okay with that. Like, everyone's got everyone's got their own ability, and I'm I'm happy with mine, but... I, I've heard you do the pinches. I've, I've, heard you play, <laughs> I've heard you play Machine Head on stages, don't you worry. <laughs> yeah, that's the only, it's the only riff I know. Um, well, that's just... Dig-a-din, 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 so, yeah. Oh, is there more to it, is there? It doesn't get much heavier than that, does it? <laughs> it does. But uh, I was I was lucky, you know. I, I took I took what was a negative situation, you know, with the passing of Steve yes, and, and I kind of kind of crafted it into something that was positive and I tried to do that for I still try to do that to my to this day, you know, I try and turn bad situations into good ones. But I uh I then started doing weekly stuff there and it came to the point where Simon, the sound guy, the grumpy old bastard, was actually a, a very good friend of mine, you know, and uh, he said to me one day, he's like, I'm going on tour with this band, we can't pay you, but if you want to come out, you know, I've seen you help drummers set up, just help our drummers set up every night. And I was like, 
yeah, I can do that. Mm. Why not? You know, opportunity to go on tour. That sounds amazing, you know. And it was working for a band called The Choir Boys. Yeah, still going now. Yep. Um, working for a band called The Choir Boys, setting up, helping set up the drum kit on tour with David Lee Roth. <laughs> so my first ever tour was with Diamond Dave. Wow. Um, and to this day, I'm still like, wow, that's amazing. Like, if David Lee Roth walked in the room now, I'd still be a bit starstruck, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. and I, you know, that was my first ever tour. Um, yeah. And that was when I realised that touring was like a... Not only could you make a career in music not being a musician, but you could also tour not yeah. as a musician and yeah. make a living. And you could, you could be, you could be vi- viably, you could, you could get yourself some income. Yeah, yeah, and live, you a, know, life, and live a life of it. Yeah, you know, there was a, a we had a guitar tech on that tour called Sean Harrison, who, who again remained friends with, and uh, realised that I didn't really, I didn't really know that much about drums or have much of a passion about drums, but I could, you know, it's, it's Lego, isn't it? You put you put legs in. <laughs> legs in floor toms and yeah you know and cymbals on stands it's yeah whereas i whereas i played guitar and i knew guitar and i was always interested in guitar so i then just started telling people i was a guitar tech i was like i could do this Uh, yeah i'm a guitar tech now you know when bands come through esquires and i was like you know if if in future you need a guitar tech which is which is the the way that most people do it when they start working in venues you start throwing your name out and start again hey i've done this yeah hey i've toured with diamond dave yeah maybe i wasn't teching for him but blah 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 yeah um one one thing that i read so prior to prior to our interview um I said to you, can you just send us a CV, Carl? I know you, but just send us a CV. And there was a name right down at the bottom next to Choir Boys. And it was Sticks. How did that, how did that, even, <laughs> go, how did that even come about? <laughs> oh, well, that was, that was an interesting tour. Um, yes, that came around. I'd, I'd, done, I'd done some stuff with Choir Boys, obviously. And Spike, the singer from Choir Boys, had his own had his own sort of solo band as well. And the guitar player for that was Dave Colwell, mm. uh, or Bucket, as mm. he's known as. Uh, and Bucket played guitar in Bad Company. Right. So when I was out with Spike's solo band with Dave, or Bucket as he, you know, as he's known, um, obviously made friends with him and sort of looked after him for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And one day he gave me a phone call and he was like, are you, you know, are you around at the moment? And I was like, yeah. He's like, okay, I'm going to pass your number on. A friend of mine's looking for a guitar tech. And I was like, okay. Next thing I know, I'm on tour with Sticks. <laughs> um, Have you heard uh, their song, gu- Mr. Roboto? Yeah, that's it's right. for that band, yeah. All right. Well, their guitar tech, Jimmy, who sadly is not, no longer with us, he passed away last year. Jimmy, um, Jimmy had got off his tour bus one day, the guitar tech, and slipped on some ice in Sweden or something and, broken his foot uh-huh. and they they were sending him home so he could rest up and be ready for the next tour so i came out and sort of covered for him it was only a couple of weeks but it was yeah. it was it was a very unusual tour again that was my first real instance of like oh this is how you do it at a much bigger scale you know yeah. not not in the back of a van this is this is proper level touring mm-hmm. and uh i learned a lot i made a lot of mistakes on that tour and uh but i learned a lot yeah um which which, and which, the crew, which which is what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was it was a weird one because I looked after the main guy, Tommy Shaw, and on the last day of the tour, he came around and sort of thanked everyone and deliberately walked straight past me. I was like, <laughs> oh dear. I don't actually know if he knew who I was because at the start of the show, the production manager would give him his guitar 
and then we'd do every guitar change after that in the dark. So I don't know if he ever actually saw me or knew who I was, but yeah, it was it was it was a weird time that one for sure. Yeah, I mean you you've worked you've worked with quite a lot of accomplished artists now, you know, um, through your CV and stuff like that. Um, so let's talk to you a little bit about the the artists that you've been working for and that you've worked for. So what was quite funny is you're saying that you know he didn't really know who you were because you did things in the dark. You end up working for a band who um, notably they're other members are always masked, aren't they? And aren't the crew masked as well, or covered in some way? No, we're not. Uh, I know who you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. Um, while the band, the band is obviously masked. Uh, the crew have to wear suits. Okay, have to wear black suits, which which makes sense to me. It's you know, it's if you you know if you're putting on this sort of somewhat theatrical show, yeah, you know, in your you're trying to build the suspension of disbelief that. That the audience isn't just at a rock show; they're actually, you know, in a church environment or yeah, they're yeah, in a sort of yeah. religious environment, yeah. and that these characters are supernatural. You know, you've got a supernatural lead singer that will change clothes in three seconds and disappear, and is is actually two thousand years old. Um, yeah. If you're going to do that, it, it always felt weird to me that at the end of uh, at the start and the end of the show, you just see roadies. <laughs> Yeah, 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 you know, in cargo shorts and black t-shirts. So yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I've so, I've, I've seen it before with Rob Zombie, who um, you know th- his crew dress up in the same kind of like dragular kind of vibe as the Rob mm-hmm. Zombie and, and his musicians. I mean, yeah. the, the band we're talking about with you is a band called Ghost, and they've kind of yes, like you is. say they've changed um, the singer Tobias. Tobias, right? Isn't it? Yes, he's the, Tobias. He's the main guy. So he's you know he has this element of change all the time, isn't he? So he's it is quite interesting. How was it working for them? Because I, I I believe the most of the session musicians, well, they become become part of the band, don't they? But I believe they're quite good musicians. Uh, yeah, for sure. Every band, every guy that's been in that band has been, in my opinion, really really talented. Not just guys, girls, of course, as well. Yeah. Um, they. When I first joined them, it was a mostly solid band. Mm. Um, like the keyboard player had been there since since the start. The two guitarists had been there since the start. The drummer and bass player had changed a few times. And every time the band members changed, obviously so did my job quite a lot because, you know, I wasn't just work... While my job was, you know, fundamentally to provide, you know, making take, taking care of the guitars and the guitar players. When the guitar players changed as frequently as, as that became... You you never really totally feel settled in your in your role because you know like same as same as you as a monitor engineer like yeah. if your if your band members are changing all the time then your mixes are changing and you you know for me the guitars were the actual guitars were the same but the feel of the guitars was changing the mm. the tones with which they were using on the Axfex were changing the uh, you know it just became a it became a very odd more odd than it should have been time you know yeah. with when, when your band members change or change a lot there's sort of there's less continuity and and it you become part of a, a puzzle piece as it were yeah on on your cv there was quite a humorous part um how, how humorous it was supposed to be but I, I just got used from it straight away was you were saying like it says like ghost guitar technician slash axe effects programmer <laughs> and I well, again was you know when when your band when your band is changing, but your gear stays the same, yeah. you end up, you know, like a lot of guitar players I've worked with have got their sound or their amp, their pedals. They know mm. what their gear is and you just come in and maintain that. Yeah. You know, I, 
obviously not not worked for him but like tom morello is a is a really good example of that he's got eight pedals he's got three guitars he's got one amp and he's got one cab yeah and that stays the same no matter what whatever project he's doing that's that's his gear and that's his stuff whereas with ghost like the guitarists didn't have that coming in they weren't bringing their own guitars they weren't bringing their own Amps. It was. It's an image. They, it's an image, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's, mu- using... it's much like. Sorry to interrupt you. It's much like the recording, isn't it? You know, the recording is is done by Tobias and yes. the people there, and then the live show is a kind of different entity, isn't it? As well. Yeah, absolutely. So, they you know they would come in and they would use ghosts' equipment and ghosts' guitars. Yes. And me being the guitar tech for those things, it kind of meant my role became not just not just taking care of guitars and, and setting up equipment, but it was very much like a Tobias or sometimes it'd be Tom, the producer would be like, yeah, that lead tone needs to be a little wetter or can you make it more Van Halen-like? And I'd be like, mm. okay, yeah, sure. You know, so I know exactly I what you mean. And, I know Diamond Dave, don't you worry. Date, mate, me and him go way back. Uh, <laughs> you know, it'd be like, that. then I would have to program those tones. You know, it wouldn't yeah. just be like the guitar player... And sometimes the guitar players would come in and make tweaks too, and that was what you know encouraged and welcomed and stuff. But it was definitely a case of we need this sound, we need this sound, we need this, you know. And I, I yeah, would yeah. be the one that was, that was that was making the sounds, you know. Whereas a lot of time with guitarists, they have their own sounds. It's it's a massive thing though, you know. Like you, you can sit there with a with analog with it with a JCM eight hundred, JCM nine hundred, and get that certain tone and the crunch, you know. And you could do something to it where. You know, you put the uh, I can't even think what it's called now, like a like a plate over the top of it, you know, so you can soak it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then it's a different world when you move into Kemper and Axe Effects, and even navigating that kind of stuff very very quickly is a, is an art form in itself, which is kind of what guitar techs are becoming now. Is that you can quickly go, I'm really good at programming Axe Effects. Yeah, well, I don't know Axe Effects, only know Kemper. You get, but you get that sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Um, having spent sort of three three and a half years with ghosts i i knew the axe effects very very well and uh and personally i really love the axe effects uh i think it's really good i think it does everything and more that you can imagine you know i think yeah. i think as a guitar player if you've got the budget for it and it, it works for you then it's it will work for you but mm. i also understand the 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 pure joy of standing in front of Oh yeah, a big yeah. old four by twelve and a head, and just going, you know. I understand that too. Yeah, there's, there's certainly a, there's like a, there's a lot of complications with it all. I remember working for one artist where they, we had he had Axe Effects, someone else had Kemper, and I think someone else used a live amp. And you go, I'll put the cab sim on the Axe Effects, and you're like, why does it sound brittle and rubbish? And then all of a sudden, he took that off and put a little room reverb in front of it instead, and you're like, oh. Okay, and then he turns the the JCM eight hundred on, and you go, "That sounds like a JCM eight hundred. That's what you want to wear." So yeah. it's it's all personal preference as well, isn't it? So it must have been it must have been very interesting getting new guitarists in all the time, but yeah, then also absolutely. following a producer and a and a singer, you know. Yeah, for sure, and, and then there's also you know the the nuances of the player as well. You have to you have to factor you know how they play, and sometimes one tone that you make for one guy isn't going to work for the other because he plays. You know, it's like plays harder, or he, you know, he plays a little scratchier, and you have to, you have to make those sort of adjustments. And certainly, thinking about if I if I were a new guitar tech, you know, if I was coming into the game now, I would. This is a game, is it? If if I was coming into it now, I would come in and be like, hey, learn Axe Fex, learn yeah. Helix, learn 
Kemper, learn learn the learn the software side of AMP stuff yeah. more than more than learning like amps and cabs because you you know yourself Scott ninety mm. percent of bands now that you see oh, coming shit. across the download main stage yeah. or what, Reading Leeds main stage or whatever mm. they're going to be plugging direct. There's there's gonna be less microphones. There's gonna be more direct stuff. There's only some there's only some real old bands who still play with live stuff, you know. And even those live stuff sometimes goes to ISOCAP, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of different stuff going on um, with with every kind of artist now. It's it's super interesting. You know, the big thing with being a guitar tech is that you know we can say, especially as a monitor engineer, um, we can say, oh, he's a great guitar player. But really, the magic kind of happens off stage, right? You know, it happens with that guitar tech to know that how he's going to play and he knows that he's only going to hit this string in this way. He only ever plays this fret on that string or, you know, or anything, all these little nuances that you figure out that I can sit there as a monitor engineer and go like, okay, this sounds right or this doesn't sound right. And it does change. It does. The sound does change when there's a different guitar tech. And that's what's mental about it. But we only know that from being in the industry and listening intently. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and that kind of goes back to my point with Ghost. That was why it was, it it could be challenging because when when the guitar players change, so does everything else that goes with it. And yeah. you know, what my my time being there, I I think I had four or five different guitar players, four or five different bass players to look after. You know, mm-hmm. so things, all those little nuances, you have to sort of hone in on very quickly and and make those changes so that the continuity of the show isn't affected so when you when you moved to ghost um you work for an artist that i i've worked for as well unfortunately we didn't work at the same time um some welsh boys by the names of bullet for my valentine um yeah. did you move to ghost um because i know the front of house guy he now works for ghost doesn't he who used, yes, to, he used to work for bullet so did you move with him or was it just like a a natural thing no um it, it, there was a bit of a gap between them. I did Bullet For My Valentine until 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, ha- I had my own band, so I left. You know, we got signed and did some shows and I couldn't I couldn't commit to their cycle. Yeah. Um, and then, then I got asked by George if I would want to come on with Ghost. Um, so I ended up, doing, ended up doing Ghost and then Dave joined us right, about okay. six months into my cycle with them. So, yeah. Mm. I'd, I'd be, but obviously we'd worked. Dave, Dave Nut Brown, and I had worked together on Bullet for My Valentine as well. Which, is, and again, we, I wish we'd worked there at the same time because we'd have had a great time. But mm. my time with Bullet was some of the best times of my life. Looking back, awesome. like I, I genuinely had like a really great time working with Bullet for My Valentine. Obviously, I took care of the bass player, mm-hmm. Jay, who I'm still in contact with now. I'm still in contact with everyone in the band. But uh, yeah, it was just a, a real good time, and, and it was kind of. It almost goes back to what you were saying before about the guitar tech and the guitar player sort of working together. Like I, I knew what he would be thinking because we'd spent four or five years together. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. you become, you start to think, or at least you start to know what he's thinking mm. before he's thought it. You know, like, yeah, yeah. and we'd we'd be on this on a similar similar path when he was playing. I knew what he would need and when he would need it before before he would have to worry about it so it'd be taken care of uh you know even if it's just little things like i i always made a, a note of what key the song was in so you know if he yeah, was like, yeah. Yeah. if he had a little freak out before the song or you know was freaked out about it I'd be like don't worry first note is this and he'd be like oh yeah okay cool and, and would go out and play and then, 
I remember I remember at Download on the main stage, they'd hired in all this extra production, you know, fairly standard. <laughs> they'd hired in all this extra production for this one show, you know, and uh, and he was running down the ramp during a show. It's a giant steep ramp, and I was like, oh, I'm glad I don't, I'm glad I'm not up there. It's really steep. And he's coming down the ramp, and he looks over at me in a panic. I was like, oh no. <laughs> I knew, I knew exactly what he went. So I put my hand up, and I'm, just, I'm, you obviously people at home have don't have a camera but you can see i'm holding the three yeah. on my fingers because That's that right. was the next note <laughs> and i knew that he'd in thinking about coming down this ramp he'd completely lost where he was in the song yeah. what note was coming up and he didn't know what note was so i told him what the next note was he played it he gives me the nod and carries on running and i was just like yeah. had i not been with him for for four or five years by that point yeah. i would have thought there was a massive problem because he's he's looking at me like something's up you know yeah. You give me that look that you get as a tech when the guitar player doesn't know what's going on. And there's uh, a, there's a lot to be said for being with an artist for a while and learning those nuances. You know, we had a, a, a guest on called Becky Pell, and she said she's like she's worked for like Kylie for like ten years or something like that. I think it was. I think it was amazing. something like that. And she said, "I'm just her comfy pair of slippers." <laughs> where, where at the side of stage where she knows that she's good and she's comfortable in, in them so she knows that I've got her and it's like that's a massive thing especially for stage crew I didn't learn this for many 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 years because I was a front of house engineer I right. was just doing my own thing at front of house little kill box couple of beers couple of sodas in there <laughs> I was just you know having a laugh with the lighting guy and the video guy and then all of a sudden I get to stage and I'm like oh this is a different world this absolutely oh, right. we've all got to communicate in some way yep uh, yep so, who who are you working with at the moment, as and when we are working? Um, well, for the last year or so, I was working with a band called Architects. I'm sure many of the listeners are aware of Architects. I was um, I was having a mosh to the new song just before this call. They're they're wonderful. They really are wonderful. Um, it was a strange one. I was I was on tour with Tokyo Myers, um, and we'd done a show in which is a str- which which is severely different genre. Than, yes, than what you'd Class- usually work with, right? Modern classical piano player yeah. to to uh, to a sort of heavy metal metalcore band, yeah. Um, a bit bit of a difference, but uh, I got I got a phone call from Johnny Bergen and being like, uh, "Hi, mate, uh, what are you doing?" I was like, "Right now, I just just got done loading out in Hamburg. What about you?" He's like, "Do you want to come on tour with Architects?" I was like, "I would love to come on tour." Are with you Architects. on it? Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. Like, I, like, regardless of the band, if you're there, Johnny, I yeah. want to be there. Which is the way we work quite a lot of the time. If, you Absolutely. Know, if, if, if we get a phone call from someone, um, I will be like, are you on it? And they're like, yeah, who else is on it? And they're like, this. I'm like, 100%, mate. Who's the yeah. band? Who? Never heard of them. Yeah, yeah. I'm there. Absolutely. You know, that's, not Absolutely. Always the case. that's not always the case. That's, you know, sometimes. No, for sure. But I think that's, I think that's like... Um, a test, test, a testimony, a, a testament, a, te- a testament. It's a testament to sort of the strength of good crew and character. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. good who, crew who, will who attract work. other good crew just because they want to work with them. Rather, than, it doesn't matter who the band is; they just want to be around their mates and they want to be around people that they know are good. Um, Cre- creating a good work environment is is so beneficial to getting the artist even sounding better than than anything you know if you work in an environment which we've we all have in our industry we've all worked well not all of us a good percentage of us have worked with people where we've hated life to to be the most dramatic you know and gone i really dislike working for this artist 
Um, and it, sometimes it's down to it's down to the people that are on the tour, and you have to. I, yeah. I I try to surround myself with people that I I enjoy working with. Is what I do. Absolutely. Um, when I got when I got the call for architects, obviously um, there was one guitar tech there already, Martin, um, a Fred doing the drums, mm-hmm. who who I've known going way back to when I was sixteen, seventeen, playing is in it, bands is in Bedford. Bedford. Is he a Bedford? Yeah, yeah. he's a Bedford boy. In fact, he. Him and I almost ended up in a band together. We didn't quite right. work out, but we almost ended up in a band together when we were like 17, 18 years old. So, you know, he was there. Uh, Scott Patterson was selling merch, you know. And I was yeah. like, oh, my God, Greg was tour managing. And with every single person that got added to that list of people that were working, I was like, oh, I know that guy. Oh, that guy's awesome. You know, and Dan yeah, yeah. Doing, doing monitors. And it was just like, yes, I want to be on this tour. You know, and I... So... I went home from Tokyo Mars and Hamburg, repacked my bag, got the early got the Eurostar out the next morning and and ended up on tour with Architects. Amazing. Which yeah, and and it was a strange one that very first night I was just I, I've told this to the band, I've told this to the crew, I, I guess I've never sort of said it publicly, but like walking into that first show, I can't remember where it was, so I think Antwerp or somewhere like that. Walking into that first show, I don't think I've ever felt as at home anywhere oh nice lovely like literally walking in it felt like walking you know when you walk in your front door after the end yeah. of a long tour you're like oh, honey i'm home you know it was like that but from the start you, you go know, home like, after tour well you know yeah. <laughs> well, i know Not you very don't long. because that last tour we did together i said i'll see you in australia and you were with architects in australia and i was with i was with another artist in australia at the same time yeah yep anyway um it's like I say, I go home. I'm not not normally there for very long, but yeah, I go home. But it it just felt it felt very homely. It felt very natural. It felt like a perfect fit. Like it just felt like a really good fit. And then, you know, I, I did the first show and we had no problems. And we did the second show and we had no problems. And they were like, "Do you want to do? You know, awesome. would you would you be around for the rest of the year?" And I was like, "Absolutely." I didn't yeah. even didn't even yeah. think about it. Didn't even look at my calendar. I was like, "Yep, no matter what." I, you yeah. guys are great, and they're, they're you know they're a really sweet bunch of boys. Um, they're a lot of fun to be around. They're obviously very smart, which is nice. Um, they're, they're very uh, very conscious of their environment and the environment. You know, like yeah. there's there's no wasting of of anything. You know, well, the, they, they had a big a big impact, didn't they? As well, they had a big impact in their lives um, yeah. from a passing as well, you yeah, know. So it kind of uh, it helps enrich their lives as much as a, a destructive thing it can be. They've come out of it very positive, you know, yeah. with 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 an eye on the goal. So it's it's taking you in anything. You've got to take the positives out of any negative situation. Yeah, you know, whether that be a breakup or leaving a band or someone passing, whatever it is, you, you have to take, you have to take the positives from, from every situation. Um, a bit of a tangent. I, I, many years ago, 2006, I worked with an American heavy metal band. Um, and it didn't end that well for me. Um, Mm. I can't honestly say I, even if I went back now, I would do anything different. I, I really worked as hard as I could for that band. And, I guess they just weren't happy and I, I wasn't happy either. But I remember I remember on the way out of the door, I got canned five gigs from home. I was gutted, gutted. My first time I'd ever been fired. You know, I was only, I'd been in the industry a year and a half, you know. Yeah, yeah. I was working for this really big band on this massive tour. And I remember I remember a man named Ashley Groom, Big Ash. He was uh, working with the headline band. 
I remember him coming up to me and being like, don't worry about it, son. You, you see the same guys on the way up as you do on the way down. You'll mm. be all right. Mm. And, I'm, and I was, you know, that was that was almost 15 years ago. And I remember those words. And, and I've told him, I've worked with him since, and I've told him that the impact of those words he had on me w- yeah. was. Because at, at that point in time when I got fired, I was like, well, I, I'll just go and get a normal job. I don't want to do this no more. Mm. You know, fuck this. These, these. It's, it's how corruptive that can be in your mindset. That's what I was saying Absolutely. before. We've all worked with people that we don't like or we didn't get on with or whatever. We party ways in a bad way. You know, it's it's about bouncing back from that, but it can be so corruptive on your mindset. Oh, massively. I, I've walked away. I once did a tour with, with an artist that I thought I was enjoying and I really, really didn't. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember going joining an artist. So it was like I worked for one artist in, in general and I was like jumping around between other ones. And when I saw them at a festival, the, my regular artist, I remember hugging the tour manager and being like I fucking missed you I fucking missed you boys I've been on this tour but I've been I've been had my mind on the money I've been mm-hmm. like I'm going to earn this money and really it's not it's not what it's about don't get me wrong we all we all like money we all need money but yeah, of course. It's, it's about the mindset man it can be corruptive though of course I you know I remember I remember him saying that to me and, and just thinking like yeah well maybe yeah maybe you're right you know maybe maybe you are right and I remember a few months later I was I was looking for work and I got asked to work for this young indie band a band called Pull Tiger Tail mm-hmm. uh, and you know they were just filling in for their normal tech you know I got referred from from Kieran at Tiger Tours or someone like that you know and in a van little little three piece indie band completely not not the tour I'd done before you know this giant heavy metal band doing arenas around the world you know yeah but I remember getting in that van and you know i just remember feeling like i can help these guys and i yeah. can improve upon yeah. their setups and i can help and i can make things better and you know what maybe that bad experience wasn't for nothing you know maybe it maybe it was worthwhile because i've actually taken some of the things i learned from that and i'm applying it and i'm improve- i'm helping this younger band with their stuff and and it did it really helped me and 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 his words in particular probably stopped me from walking away from the industry altogether based on one bad experience. Yeah. And it's true. It, 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 was, it was so true because I, since that day, and I'm not being like, but I haven't, I, I've crossed paths with that band many, many, many times since. Mm. But they've always been lower on the bill than I have been. Mm. And even though that's not important. And no, it's, 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 not, it's important, not. It's not, but it's, I, I completely get where you're at. In the back of my mind, I'm like, that kind of proves to myself, if nothing else, that like you I was I was right to not walk away. Yeah, because I've helped, I've helped and worked with other bands that have that were on similar level, similar levels and higher than that artist. Mm-hmm. And and I haven't let that one negative experience. As as long as you learn from the negative experience, that I think that's what that's yeah. what it's about. We all make mistakes certainly do, and I think having that self awareness that you've made that mistake, even if you don't make it straight away because I'm I've guilty guilty I'm definitely guilty <laughs> of 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 being that person you know and not not having enough self awareness that I'm in the wrong ear uh, and learning from that and then taking that into the next job once you learn that skill you know it's vastly 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 important um it's just a shame that you know right now we're we're just not working which is which is as much as like you nearly walked away there are, are you nearly walking away from music right now uh no 
No. no. Um, so it's it's amazing, isn't it, that we even though we've not worked for at this period now, it what is it eight eight nine months? Yeah, nine months. Yeah, nine months. Yeah, <laughs> fucking hell, that's a long time, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I've I, I, I mean, my last day of work was January tenth, so I'm rolling on nearly oh, wow. a, nearly a year. Because I, I took that time, I took time off. I was like, ah, oh, I'm good for two months here. January, February, March, don't need any work. I am busy <laughs> from March all the way until 2022. No, gone. My my last gig was March 11th. I had a really busy start to the year, actually, which mm. looking back now, I'm lucky. But, you know, I, I started, I went to Australia January 4th with Architects. Yep. We went down there. We did a few days of rehearsals and production and stuff. And then we did Unify Festival. Mm-hmm. I flew back from that so Australia back to the UK then the next day I boarded a flight and went to Qatar with Tokyo Myers mm-hmm. um, and we did we did some it was a really odd gig we did a, a, some it was a stadium gig uh, for a launch of an online games thing I don't know if it ever happened right. or not but yeah. uh, flew back from that then did we did this little punk festival with again going back to it's, it's funny how things loop round. But I work with a band called Lightyear. I mentioned them earlier. They were the first band I ever promoted in Bedford, sure, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I ended up working with them both as a bass player and as a tech, you know, and just ended up tour managing them as well, and just just kept busy with that. Did that, and then I I played bass for a friend's band, a band called Nervous. Um, and I was playing. I was actually on tour playing bass for them in Europe when I got the phone call from from my lady and she was like yeah I don't know if you've seen the news I was like oh, what news is that and she's like well you know this Covid stuff I was like yeah yeah she's like well they're you know they're, they're shutting the American border I was like alright she's like yeah anyone anyone in Europe I was like well that doesn't bother me too much I'll be flying from the UK so my plan originally was I obviously had to apply for the visas and stuff and I applied for the visas and good visas got approved and my plan was to move to to America where I'd be getting married and I was due to fly March 18th mm-hmm. with our wedding date a week later um, but you know she phones me March 10th or something and you know like yeah Trump's, Trump's put this ban in place and I was like well it's fine because you know I won't be flying from Europe and then I read the small print fine, finally and it was like uh, this applies to anyone that's been within Europe yeah, yeah. in yeah. the last 14 days and there I am in Prague, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, oh, that's a bit of a problem. So, uh, so I ended up. It, it, it was a really, really traumatic day for me. Uh, uh, we were on our way to Berlin for for the last show of the tour. We were on our way to Berlin, and I was in my we we were in my van, which I would, I was giving to the band afterwards. Right. And we were in my in my van and, you know, all my bass rigs in the back of it and, you know, all that stuff. And I have this realisation that I need to get to America now. Yeah. Like, yeah. like I've got 30 hours to get to America and I'm mm. currently in a in a splitter van between Prague and Berlin. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh dear. Yeah. Oh dear. You know, because yeah. to, get, to get a marriage visa takes... Oh, it's 13. a quick process, right? 13 it's really months, quick, isn't it? 13 months to get the approval to get married. Yeah. And in doing so, they also cancel any work visas. Mm. So 
all my work visas were gone. My tourism visa, you know, my B1, B2 to come here and stay for six months at a time, that had been cancelled. The only the only way I could enter America was via an Ameri- was via my marriage visa. Yeah. And my marriage visa would expire like two in two weeks' time. So I really had 30 hours to get Not to America. no one ever to get over there, yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm in the van on the way to Berlin and I'm just like, guys, do you know anyone that plays bass that could learn the songs by the time you get to Berlin? In Berlin. And they were like, um, yeah, maybe. I'm like, cool. Right, cool, I'm off. See ya. Can you drop me at the airport? And they were like, sure, no problem. Yeah. Yeah. And there was... There were the three of us, you know, one person was driving and there was three of us all booking flights because as soon as Trump announced that, every flight got booked. Mm, yeah, yeah. So there was three of us trying to book flights, me get back to the UK because I had to repack my stuff and, you know, f- move out of my house overnight, basically. And then, then I had to get to America. So there was three of us booking flights to America. I had to book a flight to the UK f- from Berlin. I had to arrange all my sort of ground transportation as it were you know getting from an airport getting back to an airport in you know moving out where i could leave my staff you know yeah. and the 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 short of it was i made it to america with three hours to spare so you've you've now immigrated to uh to detroit so from bed from, from bedford to detroit is where you're at now that is correct yeah i uh i made it here with three hours to spare my flight here was absolutely rammed I connected in Atlanta or somewhere crazy, you know, yeah, and uh, yeah. my flight to Detroit was empty. You know, there was like three people on it. So they're like, oh, what are you doing? Are you going to going home for Christmas or going home? You know, what's happening with COVID? I was like, yeah. actually, I'm getting married. And they were like, what? You're getting yeah. married? Yeah. So I ended up, uh, ended up getting here March 13th. Our wedding got cancelled, obviously, because of, yeah. you know, the ongoing global pandemic. Um, but again, that caused an issue in itself because obviously I had a wedding visa and I have to get married. I'm here now. I have to get married within a certain amount of time. So we managed to speak to the officiant that was going to officiate a wedding, our wedding. And even though our wedding got canceled, we met them ironically in a play park and, Oh, that's just full circle right there, isn't it? Bedford, (laughs) Bedford to Detroit play park. Uh, You could take Um, the boy out of Bedford. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we got married under a gazebo in a play park. Amazing. In uh, like four days later, yeah, March 20th. So and We, we I, spoke a I, little bit about this before we went live on air and there's a massive process to once you get married that you can't really do anything. You kind of just got to sit on your hands, haven't you, for a little while. You can't leave, you can't work. So fortunately, as you said, you always try and find the good in a negative is that you've gone, this has been perfect timing. I mean, yeah. While while I certainly wouldn't wouldn't wish this, yeah. For me, for me, this uh, this COVID situation could be what could be a positive because, like I said, I flew here. I got here March thirteenth. Um, we got married March twentieth. From from that day on, even though I had four work visas in my in my passports to come here and work, I wasn't allowed to work because yeah. I had. They'd all been cancelled. I had to come in on my marriage visa, so I got I got married, and then you put you send in all the paperwork, and then you have to wait. You are not allowed to work. You're not allowed to travel. You can leave. You can leave like where you live, and you go with the United yeah. States, but you can't leave the US. Yeah. Um. So you know, I was literally just stuck at home. 
Um, well, you know what? You've, you've kind of got out of a pickle there because all the visas are changing, aren't they? As, as a lot of people in the music industry will know, the visas are changing quite a lot, all the O's and stuff like that. Um, and now, you, you know, I don't know how different it's going to be coming this way, but we know, as touring people, that it's quite cheap uh, in comparison to going to America with a visa as coming to the UK with a visa. Well, I won't need to do that anyway. Because you've got I've dual nationality, have you? I've still got a British passport. Uh, yeah. I, haven't nothing, is, I haven't Is it blue? This doesn't mean nothing. Brexit. <laughs> there's, your, there's your next problem. Oh, mate. That's, yeah, that's an entirely different shit show, isn't it? But uh, because I'm because I'm British, I can still work in Britain and, and with whatever gets arranged for working in the EU, I, yeah. I'll be treated as a British person. But in not, time here... Not, not with that American my... accent that you've got going on. <laughs> uh, I will be able to work in America with my green card when it arrives. But I've... I've still got working papers, so I can now work here at least, which, which has probably been the the biggest changer for me mentally, if nothing else. Bit the, having the ability to work again, I, and I know this is what people in our industry have dealt with for months, but not even being able to not in to that, work no. in any way, you know, not yeah. being able to do landscape gardening or mm. or stacking shelves. I could I couldn't do anything. I had to just sit here and wait. But now, you know, I've got my paperwork through, to, which allows me to work. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I've been, strangely enough, I've been doing guitar repairs and, and stuff like that for for local residents. I, you know, I put an advert on Craigslist and was like, hey, I'm not touring. And ordinarily I would be. Does anyone need their guitars fixing and stuff? Awesome. And yeah. I've been pretty busy, which has been nice. Uh, it's nice to have a little bit of like things to do it's not just not just for the the mentality of I'm just sitting around doing nothing but also that you know it's quite nice that people like you to do stuff you know people want want you to work on their guitars they want their guitars to be better and it's satisfying when you do give even if it's just a local guitar player guy that plays in his bedroom at home or whatever it's nice to give him back his guitar in a better condition than he gave it to you in and him be happy with that What's super interesting about our industry is, although it's stopped, you know, um, you know, if you're a sound engineer that works in a studio, you can carry on, you know, mixing, you can carry on editing, you can carry on doing all these kind of things. You know, I've been fortunate in the sense of I've been editing podcasts, so it's kind of audio based. You know, I've not had my hands on a console for a while, uh, but I started doing some work down the road um, with a company that I worked for when I was not touring. And they asked me to come in the other week. They bought a load of new consoles, analog consoles, actually. And they were like, we need them all testing. Can you test them? And I was like, whoa, got my hands on a desk here. <laughs> you know, so I, I get where you're coming from, where you're like, oh, I've, got a, I've got a guitar that's not mine. And I yeah. need to clean it up. Like, wow. So, you know, I, I, I think through it all, our passion's not wavered for what we do as a job. Because in the music industry, passion is what leads a lot of us through, you know, it's not absolutely it's not, working in rock and roll. It's not. It's not the bleeding money, is it? Do you know what I mean? But there's still good money to be had. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely, I, I always feel that like if you're whether you're whether you're working on it's it's a musical project that you really enjoy, you know, a band that you enjoy, or you're working with a crew of people that you're really into and they're your friends and you're really you really enjoy being around them that in itself is almost worth like a hundred dollars a day or a hundred pounds a day because to to have to have that I would rather work with people people that I love or music that I love for less money than yes. go on tour with a pe- bunch of people that I don't care about, a musical project that I don't enjoy 
and earn bigger money. I'd much rather earn the small money, but have the best time. One hundred percent. You've always got you've always got to fight, especially being freelance. We've always got to fight for our wage and try and get what we believe to be comfortable for us to do the job. But at the same time, we want worth. We want value. We want value for what we do. Because sure. you never know, you work for too many bad artists that you do not enjoy working for or too many bad people that you don't enjoy working for rather than artists. You could walk away from this job that's fulfilled you so much. So Yeah, yeah, speak- absolutely. I would, I, I, I would rather earn less but have a better time than, than suffer for the money. Yeah, party. Just party. Just, Just party. party. <laughs> uh, so in, in, in the age of fulfilment... We're gonna mm-hmm. start. We're gonna start wrapping up uh, this podcast a little bit. But what we kind of do towards the end uh, of our podcast is, like I say, speaking of fulfillment, have you got a funny story, something from the road that you can tell our <laughs> listeners about? Uh, I mean, there there could be one of many. My, my career has led me in all sorts of random directions, yeah. from you know, from guitar ticking from a disabled toilet or a kitchen work surface in some venues to all sorts but i've seen i've seen i've seen you take up a corridor before yeah yeah absolutely uh but i think i i I guess it'd be wrong of me not to tell this one um i was on tour with bullet for my valentine it was 2010 i want to say 2010 so i was you know a little bit younger Mm. a little bit more stupid than i am now perhaps um and we've been on tour with avenged sevenfold in America and the US and every day I'd been sort of a good friend of mine Josh was Avenged Sevenfold one of the Avenged Sevenfold guitar techs and like we said there's not that many left-handed guitar players in the world but Avenged Sevenfold happened to have one of them mm-hmm. so most days I'd you know when I wasn't doing stuff in my guitar world I'd go to their guitar world because he had a whole rack of left-handed guitars <laughs> he was happy for me to play at any point so you know playing left-handed guitar well we got uh we were doing this big outdoor show in Montreal and you, you, the weather forecast had been like, no, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine. And then it wasn't fine, really majorly. <laughs> As the band are finishing their last notes of the set, you can yeah. see this giant thunderstorm just coming straight in. So it's like, quickly rack up everything as quick as you can. And this thunderstorm here, it was huge. Like, we got lashed with rain and... Uh, a good friend of mine, Kevin Papworth, and I, um, we always had this thing, like, you know, you've only got so many clothes on tour. You've only got so many pairs of shoes. You've only got so many jackets. You've only got so many stuff. And, yeah. and you don't really want to get what you're wearing completely soaked through, do you? You, you know? don't know when they're going to dry. They're not going to dry on a bus, are they? Exactly. Especially yeah. not a bus that's full of partying people like ours quite often was. Yeah. So Kevin and I <laughs> took took the executive decision that we were going to do that loadout completely naked. Oh, completely naked? Well, I say completely naked. I was I was still wearing my radio and my laminate. I'm a professional. <laughs> yeah, right, fair play. Um, Where did you clip the radio to? It, you know, you oh, know the, the don't, little... Don't, uh, don't, no, 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 no. Don't even tell me. <laughs> we'll just let people guess on that one. <laughs> if, uh, if anyone does want to know, just send me a private message and I'll, I'll explain the... The, the ways in which you can wear a radio whilst being naked. Um, so yeah, I've got my, my... I think I was still wearing my shoes. I think I, was, I, think I put my shoes on, but... Yeah, I had my shoes and my radio and my laminate. And we, we, loaded, the, we loaded the truck completely naked. And, uh, and in the meantime, the next band on the stage, I think it was Seether, 
the next band on the stage had uh, had been forced to cancel due to yeah. the appalling weather, the fact that they didn't want to get electrocuted or struck by lightning. Who would have thought? Yeah. Um, so someone had come up with the idea. They, they come over to us. Ha! Ah, it'd be really funny if you guys swept all the rain off the stage. And Kevin and I were just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, you know, so we got those, you know, those big sort of squeegee brush things. Yeah, yeah. And swept the stage in front of 12,000 people in Montreal wearing nothing but my shoes, my radio, and my laminate. The fine line in Canada. You could have done that in America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's my funny story for you, Scott. That's, that's brilliant, that. That is brilliant, yeah. I like the way you were thoughtful that you had to make sure you had the laminate on. Just in case, you know, excuse Listen. me, what do you think you'll do with that equipment? Got a laminate, bro. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to get kicked off the stage, you know, and leave the truck half-packed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've got to oh. find a way, Scott. You've got to find a way. And I think you, that's that's what our industry is about. It's about finding a way to make something happen. And it, Yeah, it, you know, we, we, we're very good at humour as well. We're very good at, like, finding the, the humour in a situation as well. You know, even that, that's going to be talked about the entire tour, about you being... <laughs> You being naked. Well, oh. the funny part of it was the next day or the day after, whatever it was, um, I guess a video had done the rounds of me and Kev sweeping the stage. Mm. And Zach from Avenged came over to me one day and just in the corridor, and he was like, oh, dude, I saw that video of you and Kev like, being naked and sweeping the stage. It was really funny. I was like, oh, thanks, man. Yeah, you know. He's like, uh, you've been playing one of my guitars, right? I was like, yeah, you know left-handed guitar players we've got to stick together he's like yeah. yeah man just at the end of the tour take one home with you yeah, I was like what what amazing and, and and true enough at the end of the tour you know I took a guitar home and I've still yeah. got it now and it's you know it's one of my favourite guitars it's just just nice to play and it's, it always oh, reminds amazing. me of being naked in Montreal <laughs> yeah I don't think there's many people in this world mate that can say they've been naked in front of 12,000 people so fair play to you Cal. <laughs> Fair play. And on tour, you know, you genuinely do get to see a lot of your crew naked most of the time, depending on what shower you're using, or depending which way you walk on the stage. But, you know, um, it's, it's great. <laughs> great, great, great story, that, Carl. Absolutely great story. Um, so one last thing that we do uh, with, with Weenie Crew is we have what we call the Road Crew Hall of Fame. Oh, however, wow. However, I think we're changing up a little bit this week, aren't we? It's not going to be a part of the road crew, but we've got a, a Hall of Fame nomination from yourself, Calf. Yeah, I do, actually. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of people that, a lot of really good people that I would I would have nominated, whether that be my friend and yours, Johnny Allen, who mm-hmm. to this day uh, I think is maybe, maybe the most unrecognised person in the music industry, but I think everyone I know, at least that works in it, has, has a thank you to give to Johnny. He's mm-hmm. He's amazing. Whether that be the great people at STS in Manchester, um, whether that be the great people in Scotland, Duncan, Sue, and of course Dumbo John, who again, yeah, yeah. The, th- those crew in Scotland, best crew in the world, as far as I'm concerned. I, I think oh, I always have I a laugh with those guys. Yeah, a you always have a laugh, but always you always have a really easy day, regardless <laughs> of how difficult the venue is, regardless of where you are, regardless of anything. Yeah, those yeah. guys will always go above and beyond to make make your day better you know whether that's someone i mentioned earlier big ash ashley groom um mm. who probably probably stopped me from 
being despondent and walking away from from what we're doing now whether that be mm-hmm. people like Dave Nutt Brown and Kevin Papworth and Richie Edwards and my friend Jesus who who had some of the best times of my life with with Bullet for My Valentine um whether that be Mikey B and Hutch B I feel like I'm doing you know a really long list yeah, but yeah. they're all people that I really care about and want want them to know that I care about whether that be Charlie Marshall in Australia who recently has started uh, foster caring children that's I- incredible job like that on its own should be in the hall of fame you know whether it be darren hawthorne or or my old friend simon panter um who the first sound guy i ever really knew the the grumpy old bastard yeah yeah you know all of those people really really have made a big impact on my on my life and my incredibly hard to sum it up to just one person is is basically what you're saying yeah which is why i'm not going to um and i don't Mm. want to put a person in because i think there's too many people i think there's too many people to to for me to for me personally, to be able to nominate a Hall of Fame entry, there's just too many great, great people. So yeah. I would like to put forward the place where it all started for me, the uh, the place where I, I learnt my chops and learnt that being in music is, is a thing and, and I can make a job, a viable job and a viable career, viable career out of it. Mm-hmm. I and would like to put par- in the, the park opposite Bedford Esquires. Close. All oh, right. I, I would like to put into the Hall of Fame Bedford Esquires. Absolutely Please. amazing. It's the best. It's it's the place where it all started for me. It's 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 a great little venue. It's yeah, two hundred cap, but it's still I've had going. Some of the, I've had some of the sweatiest and best nights of my life in that room, and uh, I hope it continues forever. Uh, I really do think that place is great, and I think anyone that's been there has has got a story about Bedford or about a story about Esquires. You know, mm-hmm. it's one of those places where you you mention Esquires and go, oh fucking hell, I remember this happening at Bedford, and you're like, yep. That's probably true. I, yeah. I I can see that happening. So, I'd like to put into into the We Need Crew Hall of Fame, Bedford Esquires. Fantastic. Uh, there's there's a lot to again, and I always say this. There's a lot to be said for that. You know, there's a lot to be said for putting a venue in there because it's not always just about an individual. We can't always narrow it down to an individual. Sometimes it's about the experience that we've had and the experience that everybody else had, and the 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 beauty of a grassroots venue is that everyone can connect with it because someone's been there, like you say, crowd surfed, stomped on heads, sat down, maybe had a cocktail or whatever. I don't know what they're doing, but for Esquires, you know? But, um, it's, it's, it's not really cocktails. It's mostly snake bite and black. That's a cocktail. That's a cocktail up north. Sus- <laughs> up, up north, you say, hiya, mate, can I have a, can I have a cider and black? They go, bloody hell, do you want, to str- do you want an umbrella with that for that cocktail? <laughs> Cal, it's been great chatting to you, mate. I hope you're really well when we're in America. But thank you so much for coming on the Weenie Crew podcast. Oh, mate, thank you, thank you very, very much for having me. It's it's, it's a great honour, honestly. I, I I knew you did podcasts, and I, you know a lot of friends have been on it. And yeah, it, yeah, I'm, I'm flattered that you flattered you invited me on, mate. Love you long time, really do. And I'm sure we'll get together soon on the road. I hope so, sooner rather than later. Yeah, man. Take care, Cal. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Weenie Crew podcast. I have been your host, Scott Howarth. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast. We're going to be releasing new content all the time. But until then, please check out weeniecrew.co.uk. Weenie Crew.